Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's January 18th, 2019. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Hey, uh, the Anti-Up Nation lost a great friend this week. Uh, Gavin Smith died in his sleep at his home in Houston. He was a fantastic poker player, a gracious friend, and a stand-up dad. He had sole custody of his two boys. Um, I remember he graced our cover back in the early days, and he hung out with us a few times, too. Uh, you know, One-Eyed Jacks and uh, even Silks. Uh, he will be missed. He was only 50 years old. Um, do you have any memories of, of that you that you had yeah, when you were with him? Uh, you know, it's it's. I worry about this when I die, because I'm as goofy in a lot of ways in right, life right. too that the memories that people are going to have me are going to be goofy ones <laughs> when you're not supposed to be but right. it's hard not to have goofy memories of Gavin and uh, you know I saw so many people post their memories on Facebook um, the last day or so and most of them were, <laughs> were that way so I, I guess it's okay to laugh um, but uh, I'm always going to remember it the Silks uh, he was there as one of the bounties for the tournament and uh and he was walking through the room, and his pants were halfway down his ass. <laughs> and the girl he was with at the time was kept trying to get him to pull his pants up. He's like, "I don't care, whatever." <laughs> and um, so I, I just like that he just didn't seem to care publicly, but by everybody that that knew him better than we did, um, he he cared about his kids um, tremendously. So that that's a really kind of uh, a, a good person I think when you can have fun and just be a free spirit in, in public but be the kind of man that you need to be in private so um, that that's what I'm going to remember from yeah and it seemed like everyone who posted anything about him Twitter or Facebook wherever it was they all mentioned how genuine he really was as a person and he really was he was really just a uh, down to earth guy funny as hell and uh, I, the, my last memory of him you know, there were, there were quite a few memories of him hanging out with Sam and him at the beach, you know, the beach house there. and um, Or, the, of course, when we got to play, I got to play in a sit-and-go with him down in uh, Sarasota, and I knocked him out and won the won it by knocking him out. That was kind of fun. I'll never forget that. But the, the last memory I had of him was I was covering November 9, and uh, I was staying with our, our, our friend uh, Big Dave, who actually is, is gone now too, very sad. Um, so I'm driving that long drive back to his place because he lived outside. He didn't live like near, really near it. So it was a pretty decent drive. And I'm on that long, uh, what's the name of that long boulevard, Scott? That it's really, really long in Vegas. It goes from not the strip, but it goes from the outside of the strip, and it's a long. It goes north, I think. I'm not sure. Anyway, it was some. It's some major, major road. And I had my little rental car. I think I actually rented the spec. That's how small the car was. <laughs> <clears throat> and I'm sitting at a traffic light, and 
it's two lanes. It's at least two lanes. It might have even been three lanes, but I think it was two lanes. And I'm sitting in a traffic light, and I got the windows down because, of course, it's a million degrees, even though it's November. And uh, all of a sudden, I hear, "Hey, Chris!" And I'm like, "No one knows me out here. I mean, I mean, I know we're you know poker magazine kind of thing, but no one knows me out here." And I turn on my left, and there he is in a convertible with this woman. The woman's driving, and he's got his hat on. He's got his foot hanging out the window. <laughs> you know, by the rearview mirror, and he's like reclined, and it's a, you know, it's a convertible down too, and I'm like, oh my, hey Gavin, what's going on? And it, we just were yelling to each other back and forth, and that just was the epitome, you know, just kicking back, not driving, just chilling, you know. And he recognized me, and he remembered me, you know. And of course, I, we spent a lot of time with him back then. I, I saw him like it seemed like every other week or month or something because he. You know, he was such good friends with our friend Sam Minatello, and Sam would have him in town all the time for his poker series down at One Eye Jacks and stuff. So we got to see him a lot back then. Um, and then you and I saw him too at uh, Choctaw uh, when we oh, went yeah. to the right. went with the TV for that that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was kind of cool. And he was just he was just such a, a funny guy. And then when you, you know, I think he even taught you was it it was at um, it was at the Silks in that back room when we were playing. In, Chinese poker with him, right? Yeah. Yep. And then you're like, you're like, Gavin, shouldn't we arrange him by uh, by suits and not rank? And he's like, Yep. And you go, See, Chris, I told you. <laughs> See, Gavin knows what he, you know. And that, so we we had a lot of good memories with him, and uh, it was really sad that he died. Um, Terrible loss, yeah. Yeah, it really is a big loss for the poker community. So uh, we'll miss him. All right, another week, another batch of announcements from the World Series of Poker, which has released details on all 20 $10,000 buy-in events this year. New to the series will be a short deck event. The new variation reduces through fives or removed from the deck. A $50,000 buy-in event to celebrate the 50th year of the series will start players with 300,000 units. Okay, so here's what I have to say about all of this. <laughs> That's what the sound that you hear when you're at a carnival. Okay, because short deck poker is not poker. You know, when we have our home game, we try to say, well, we're only going to deal events where you can win a bracelet. Now the short deck, come on, guys. Come on, there are enough poker variations that are legitimate. We don't need to break out the Uno. What is going on here? No, sorry, skip, pick four cards. You know, what is going on, short deck? Give me a break. So you you are not going to enter the um, first ever short deck tournament in the Ania Poker Tour Series at Viquiva in March. Cause no. It's going to be on the schedule there uh, no. pending uh, state gaming um, uh, approval. So No, it's an internal protest. <laughs> I will keep it to myself, but I, I don't well, it's understand why that's popular now. Now, it could go could go the way of some of the other games that uh, burn hot and bright and then out, but uh, but a lot of people are talking about it right now. I haven't had a chance to play it, so um, uh, I don't know how much I would enjoy it, but I usually like variations. So I but. play short deck, uh, well, they call it pitch. And you, you play with a short deck every day. <laughs> I do. I, I have, I'm not playing with a full deck. But um, I've done it with, like, you know, setback. You know, where only deuce, tray, ten, jack, queen, king, ace are out. You know, everything else is gone. Um, and that makes her interesting because everybody's bidding four and that kind of thing, or five and stuff. But for poker, uh, ugh, I don't know. But apparently, you know, it's going to go the way of Chinese, you know, open face, all these open face tournaments. They're all gone now. 
Yeah, I just spent four days playing open face Chinese in Colombia, so it's not going anywhere with me. Yeah, you're latching on to the you're like a prehistoric. Uh, I don't know. I just lost six hundred thousand too. Chris. <laughs> I saw your Facebook post. Well, how much loss of my life. Called you a millionaire. Oh, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, but here's a good thing for you, Chris, though. It's a $10,000 buy-in event, so you weren't going to play it anyhow. So. I was thinking about it. <laughs> and I'll think about how sick that is. Twenty ten thousand dollars buy-in events now. Yep. Twenty. Needs to be one. And that doesn't include the uh, the little one for the one drop, which is, what, 100000 Yeah. And then, uh, of course, there's 50000 with 300,000 units. All right, so I always want to go and watch those events. And I want to have like the uh, Fox or um, CBS mic them up and mic all the players up because I want to hear the first guy that whines about it being short stack. <laughs> I need more units. Three hundred thousand just uh, what is this a carnival act? <laughs> I mean, really, stop and think about that. I'm like, again, we haven't seen the structure yet. It is one hour levels. I did see that. Uh, so obviously, as we mentioned last week, plays faster uh, than the main event. But three hundred thousand units. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I, I don't. I can't even imagine what legitimate structure they could put that that isn't just ridiculously deep. Uh, they wine start at five thousand, ten thousand, maybe. Yeah, but I don't think that's even a. That's what I'm saying. I don't think that's a legitimate structure. Yeah, I know. To, I know. I'm just kidding. You know. Um, yeah, it's pretty insane. It's got to be accelerated or something. Well, I think it's the accelerate by the hour, but uh, yeah, but yeah, and I'm sure they probably skip some other levels too. But I, 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 I I'm, I'm going to be shocked if it's a super fast structure. I think, <laughs> I think they're really trying to make this a, a signature event in the 50th year. So, you know, I think they're trying to blow people out, not just with the, the number of units, but uh, just how much play you get for that. And hey, I'll tell you right now, uh, I've never paid fifty thousand for a car in my life. <laughs> I know. <laughs> But if I ever have the ability to pay fifty thousand for a tournament, I, I want some damn play out of it. Right? <laughs> That's right. You want three hundred thousand units. <laughs> hey, did you have a chance to see are any of the ten thousand buy-in events rebuys? Not re-entry, I but rebuy. I, I didn't look, so I can't say for sure. I, I'm sure they're all re-entry, but yeah. I don't. Can you oh, imagine a ten thousand dollar rebuy event? And you're like you're there with like Danny Negreanu, who would peel off. You know, thousand dollar re-entries like they were going out of style when they used to have the thousand dollar rebuy events. I want to see somebody go sick on a ten thousand dollar buy-in rebuy event. That would be hilarious. Just trying to get as many chips as possible at their table, and they yeah. end up buying in for like one point two million or something. <laughs> it would be hilarious. And I will uh, correct myself. Obviously, the main event is a little freeze out, so there's no re-entry there. So some of the other ones might be the fifty thousand might be a freeze out too. Oh, yeah. um, I just didn't look as closely at that, but um, but I would be surprised if, if some or most of the twenty ten k ones allow at least one reentry. So now rebuys a different story, obviously. But well, congrats to the uh, World Series publicity people because they successfully have been on our show like every week for a month. One week after we talked about it, they <laughs> trickle out some more. Trickle out some more. There you go. <laughs> Unreal. I'm going to need help close. with this. I was going to say I need help with this next item because I I read it and I still need you to tell me uh, how doomed we are. Uh, well, I wish I could help you with that because I don't really know myself. But uh, seven years after making a landmark decision that the 1961 Wire Act applied only to sports wagering, uh, opening up new markets for online wagering in the United States, the U.S. Department of Justice has reversed itself, saying only one clause in the Wire Act 
specifically deals with sports wagering. So this is a victory for a coalition funded by Venetian Las Vegas owner Sheldon Adelson, which has spent millions of dollars to prevent and shut down online gambling. Uh, what it means for the states who have approved online gambling isn't known, as well as what it will mean to new efforts this week to legalize online poker in New York and West Virginia. Yeah, that's just unbelievable. They just keep coming for us, no matter what we do. They just yeah, keep so for us. you asked me what it means, and I, I don't know, because here's the thing. Um, seven years ago, when, they, when they, um, the department came down with this decision... Everybody got really excited because we thought that was going to open up to everything we've seen now, right? Yeah. Uh, you know that that meant online lottery ticket sales. Um, obviously, it meant online poker in the four or five states that we have it now. Um, it eventually, after the the Supreme Court ruling on sports betting, allowed for online sports wagering in those states as well too. Now, um, so I think we're seeing exactly what we thought we would see. It just took seven years to get there. Um, so now that it's been reversed by a completely different department, well, not completely different Department of Justice, but under different administrations, right? Um, I think it's really going to what it's going to be now is stuff is going to go through the court system. So I would imagine right now um, it, it means nothing for the states that are offering it. Um, probably means oh, um, close to nothing to New York and West Virginia as they try to get online poker going, although obviously that's a concern that will be raised now. Um, it's eventually probably going to take someone to sue someone and then have it work its way through the courts. As we know how that works, it's a very long process because you don't get just one decision, then you get appealed, and that appeal gets appealed on appeal, and then appeals again on appeal. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I watched the second season of Making the Murderer on the plane, <laughs> and that stuff's never going to end, right? So, um, so I think that's really what's going to happen. I mean, there's nothing right now. It's not like all of a sudden online poker shut down because of the ruling. Um, it, it's it's going to take a, a legal challenge to um, see what happens. Um, so this now, is one of those things that could go all the way to the Supreme Court, right? They could literally just say. Despite what the DOJ is saying, that's not the end-all, be-all. We're going to fight for this and keep and keep appealing if they try to go against them, and then it could go to that ultimately. Well, yeah, yeah, it'll start in, in either a state court or a um, circuit court, depending on who <clears throat> files the lawsuit. Oh, right, right. Folks will make a decision on what they think. I mean, the Department of Justice is this is what that's what they're saying. They interpret the law to mean right. Um, but a court will interpret what that law means to them, um, and then of course, you know, it'll be appealed and appealed and appealed. But so it, it'll take that. So I don't know if that's going to be private folks suing. Um, it could be attorney generals in states suing. Um, it could be the Department of Justice suing. Right. Uh, so we just have to wait and see how that all shakes out and, and who does the suing first. Um, it could be that no one does. <laughs> and it's just the reverse of the decision, and nothing changes. Nothing um, changes. Hmm. So, uh, you know, really don't know right now. Um, obviously, it's not a good um, development for us um, because it does open up the can of worms that uh, it could stop some efforts from happening or reverse some efforts of gains we already have. Um, but we really don't know <laughs> what the effect is right now. We just have to wait and see, like everything else. So, again, just like the <clears throat> thing. One step forward, three steps back. So, yeah, one of the stories made me sick too. It was like they were talking to the, I don't know the, the, the whoever was in favor of it, 
of being overturned like this and he's like yeah because you know uh this is this is back on par with the way things were like when they passed the unlawful internet gambling enforcement act uh, you know overwhelmingly passed it and i'm like yeah because it was tied to a defense act you piece of crap you know i mean and they they clearly you know are trying to spin it you know to be like this is what the people want and this is what no that's not what it was at all they could not not sign it how could you not sign a defense act after 911 you know what I mean? It's ridiculous. It was was it was the port right? It was port port act or whatever yeah, they called it? Yeah, ridiculous. So I don't know. To me, it's like how could you have gambling legally and then say that because the internet it's not legal because it's just ridiculous. Somebody's got to have rational thought here and and put two and two together and say, hey, it's still equals four here. You know? I don't know. I'm just so frustrated with the whole. One step forward, three steps back. Crap, it's driving me crazy. Yeah, and unfortunately, I, I'm supposed to be the glasses half full guy here, but uh, it's it's very discouraging. Yeah, you know, yeah, how hard people are working to fight this, and how hard it is to move forward on it. Because uh, every time you make that that step, something else is is right there. So there's just no clear path to getting to the type of world that we want. With this. so that's really frustrating. All right, any updates? The Silks Poker Room at Tampa Bay Downs will host an Annie Up Poker Tour Series February 4th to the 10th, featuring six events, including a Seniors, a Monster Stack, and a Bounty, culminating with a five-flight, $250 buy-in main event. Stepped satellites for the main start at 25 bucks, and throughout the month of January, players will have numerous chances to make it into the main with four satellites and high-hand promotions in every tournament that will award satellite seats and even main event entries. For the full schedule... Structures and other details, visit com slash silks. Our annual Restock the Shells Food Bank Initiative with Blue Shark Optics has begun. Here are the venues hosting events this week, and go to com slash restock for more details. Honda Resort and Casino in Pinetop, Arizona, get up to 4,000 units in a $60 tournament with added bonuses on January 21st for donating one to five food items. Lucky Chances Casino in Coma, California, uh, get 3,000 units in a $200 tournament on January 21st for making a $20 donation, which will be matched by Lucky Chances or 1,000 units for donating a food item. Foxwoods Resort Casino in Connecticut get 5,000 units for making a $10 donation in a $400 buy-in tournament on January 21st. Wow, out of January 21st. Yeah, and I'll I'll pause just to say a lot of that is because when we first started this, we we designated part of that day. day. Uh, to do it, and a lot of these folks, they just keep it on the calendar. Yeah, yeah. That's why we got so many. Now, continue. All right, I get free fi- there. So. <laughs> Firekeepers Casino Hotel in Battle Creek, Michigan, get 500 to 1,500 units in two tournaments on January 21st. Also, Firekeepers will donate the $5 entry fee for all players in both tournaments to the local food bank. Wendover Hotel and Casino in West Wendover, Nevada, get 5,000 units in three tournaments starting January 23rd for making a $20 donation. Harris Cherokee Casino Resort in North Carolina get units for making a $20 donation during a January 21st tournament. Shark Tank Pillar Club in Columbus, Ohio get 5,000 units for donating three or more food items during a January 21st tournament. Uh, Bend Poker Room in Bend, Oregon get units for donating cash or food items in two tournaments on January 21st with an optional $10 add-on that will be donated. Daily and weekly promotions are running all month at Lucky Chances. Pachanga Resort in Temecula, California, Derby Lane in St. Pete, Miami Poker Society in Miami, the Windy City Poker Championship in Frankfurt, Illinois, 
Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi, Seneca Niagara Casino Resort and Casino in Niagara Falls, and uh, Bend Poker Room in Bend, Oregon. It's funny, you wrote Seneca Niagara Casino Resort and Casino. <laughs> you make me be redundant there. I don't know. <laughs> that's awesome. Maybe stall. So that's a lot of stuff going on. It's nice to see all those poker rooms, you know, getting involved. It just it gives you that warm feeling. Um, yeah, and, and I'll say it's we've already had obviously some uh, events con- concluded, so we're starting to get uh, photos and, and totals coming in. And um, this whole month is, and we said it on the show before, it's my favorite month of the year for Annie Up. Um, and it's it's in two waves. It's one when I have all these poker managers get back to me. Oh yeah, absolutely, we're in again this year. We love the, the event and look forward to it every year. That also always warms my heart. And then waiting and seeing those photos come in of these stacks and stacks of food um, from folks and um, just, you know, reminds us that uh, we appreciate everybody out there that goes out and uh, supports these events um, because this is the the biggest thing uh, we do here at Antioch for for those in need every year. So, And it wouldn't work if we didn't have you folks going out and participating. And since we're freezing our niblets and giblets off here in Florida this week, uh, it's nice to have at least our hearts warmed. (laughs) <laughs> it was super warm down in uh, Medellin, Colombia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many times are you going to fit that into the show, buddy? I, I mean, we understand it. You know, stop rubbing it in. <laughs> Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcastandandyatmagazine.com. If they haven't learned something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we'll send them something cool. This week's prize is a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. comes from Rick Barnes. Says, I'm a relatively recent addition to your PokerCast fan base, and I love the show and your approach to hand reading. However, I have been listening to the Annie Up archives for a few weeks now, and it occurred to me that I will be caught up soon. So if you don't mind, I would appreciate it if you would start recording three or four shows per week. That should keep you ahead for a while yet. Yeah, I had to tell him that as much as you've been begging me to do three to four shows a week, I am firmly keeping my foot in the ground, Chris, so <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a dream of mine. It's a dream. <clears throat> so he says, in a 25-cent, 50-cent no limit Hold'em game, and it says Ho in there, too. I, I, I don't think that's... Uh, I think it's supposed to say Home. Oh. Home game. Uh, <clears throat> we're... I was learning a different language. At least, <laughs> well, at first I got excited because I thought it was Hold'em Omaha and Stud 8 or better, <laughs> but then it said No Limit Hold'em, so I was like, ah. Since we're just getting started and players are arriving, we're up to five players, and the sixth just joined in the big blind. Now, see, here's the other thing. When we used to have the home game, you used to kind of, like, wait till everybody got there, and I thought, why are we doing that? we got enough here to start playing. Let's start playing. That's a good point. You know, yeah, that's, that's what we point. should do. Start. Hey, if you're we're late, you're late. We're talking about life. We're catching up. Yeah, so. you do that while you're playing for six hours. You're the only one there just to play poker, so. <laughs> no, I'm there to catch up, but do it while I'm playing. All right, so he says the sixth person just joined the big blind. He's on the button, and it's folded around to the player in the cutoff who limps. Uh, I find everybody's favorite hand, Jack-Jack, and raise to $1.50. The new player in the big blind shoves for our effective stack of 30 bucks. I don't play cash often, and I don't know anything about this player. While I'm trying to decide what kind of hand he would shove with, the limper, who is known to be a loose gambling player, calls. How do I decide what to do? Is it just a question of whether or not to gamble? Do I just fold and the risk-reward is too great? As, as the risk-reward is too great... How does this, uh, the presence of the limper caller affect my play? I folded, deciding I must be behind at least one of them and not willing to gamble my whole stack on a coin flip. Okay, I'm a wimp. The big blind had ace-king, the cutoff had ace-nine. Jax would have held up. Also, doesn't the fact that a computer can be programmed to comp- 
complete su- compete successfully uh, at poker prove that poker is a skill-based game? After all, a computer can't be programmed to defeat roulette or even a simple coin flip. G- genius point right there. That whole letter was worth it just for that one sentence. Genius. <laughs> all right, so what part do you want to talk about first, then? Uh, about well, first? well, we'll talk about the hand just because right. uh, it's a pretty simple thing. I-, I totally agree with the fold. You don't want to sit down at a game you're just starting and you lose your whole stack on Jack-Jack when anybody could just randomly have two overs and, and outflop you or or have a big hand because, you know, he wants to show it and people won't believe that the first hand he sits down on, he's got pocket aces or, you know, and he, so, I mean, it could be anything. And really, is that the, that's the tone you want to set for the day is getting felted with Jack-Jack on, ga- on hand one in a 25-cent 50 game. You know what I mean? To me, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I put a dollar fifty in. I'm glad to lose the throw the ace jack on the jack jack away and see what these rubes are playing with because then you get information right away for a dollar fifty. You know, plus you're racing four cards at that point. They're, sure, there's a chance that they'll have duplicates, but once that guy calls two, yeah, okay, so you're getting what two two and one on your money, whatever. That's not a lot of money for jack jack. I'm letting it go too. I have no problem folding. You're not a wimp. Yeah, and uh, what I told him is, you know, uh, this is a great example of how you can't let uh, being resource-oriented make decisions for you in the future. So I know he's killing himself because uh, he got really kind of a dream scenario here. He got two aces which counterfeit each other, and one kicker was less than the jack. So really he had to fade a king um, or some of those random straight kind of things that came. Um, and obviously it would have held up and he would have tripled up on the first hand and probably had the best night of his life, right? Yeah. Um, but you run that in the computer simulator, advancedpokertraining.com, and I, I promise you it's a, it's a losing proposition um, to play jacks against two hands. Two hands. Uh, four yeah. cards, as you mentioned. So, and, and particularly the way the action worked, um, you have to think that you're behind one. You might be ahead of the other one. Uh, you could be behind both. Or at uh, best case scenario, you got to think that there are some overcards that you've got to uh, face. So this was the, probably the best case scenario that could be uh, imagined here. But I would imagine if you run that scenario, you're not going to see ace king versus ace nine in this scenario a lot. You're going to see aces or kings or queens for one hand, which is really tough. And um, and then maybe like an ace king in the other one a lot. So and um, and then you're right, the the psyche of the first hand, you know. Yeah. You know, if you again, you go back to what I said. If you would have tripled up on the first hand, that would have put you in a power spot. So I'm not dismissing that possibility, but I think far more damaging is going broke in a with 60 big blinds. <laughs> yeah, first, first hand, it's Jack Jack. Yeah, and then have to, to peel out. I mean, you are if if you're one of those players that can get past that, that's great. Most players I know cannot get past that, and you are going to be feeling like you're playing catch up the entire night. And when you feel like you're playing catch up, that's when you make bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. So um, don't put yourself in that, that spot there. To paraphrase Dan Negrano, it's only jacks. <laughs> he used to say it's only tens plus one. I mean, really, it's it's not a great hand. So you made the right play the whole time. You raised when you're supposed to, and you folded when you're supposed to. So no wimp here. No wimp. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker Hey, we room. didn't finish the, the other one. Oh, 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 that's right. Yeah, I think it's genius that... Uh, that uh, he he brought that line up about a computer can win, and then it has to be skill. That's like, you don't even have to say anything else to the judge when you're bringing it up in front of them and they want to try to prove that poker's a skill. You got, listen, here's the deal. You can't program a computer to win a roulette, but you can program it to win at poker. Boom, it takes thought, and it takes math, and it takes skill. End of story, end of argument. 
I agree with all that, but here's the thing is that uh, those of us who play poker and those of it, those people who understand poker and they don't play it, they didn't need to be uh, sold on that concept, right? right it just right. makes sense to us, right? So the computer doesn't help that argument. Now, it does potentially help some people in the middle of the two camps be swayed by it. I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it now. Um, so it's not a bad thing, but I, I wouldn't say that it uh, – I mean, while it does prove, it doesn't necessarily advance our argument as much as people might think, because um, uh, there's still going to be people out there that uh, can't understand the difference between roulette and poker. See, I, I disagree. I, I think this advances it light years, and and I'll, I'll I have that like my cousin Vinny scene at the end when he puts his girlfriend on the stand and she's the, that's what all we got to do is we got to get somebody on the stand, you know, that is just a math genius and a computer whiz. And you put them on the stand. You're like, sir, can you tell me what are the odds that a computer can beat a roulette game? No matter how much we program their computer, no matter how much AI we give it, he'd be like, you know, zero. Okay, now, sir, tell me, and, and I'm telling you right there, you put him on the stand, and he will make it'll advance that argument to anyone who doesn't understand the game because it's 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 simple well, I, math. It is simple math, but here's the weakness in that argument: is you have to trust that person on the stand. Well, just because they, it's going to be our example, we're gonna, it's going to be our just witness. Because they say it can't be programmed, I mean, it doesn't mean that it won't in the future. <laughs> you know, it took us this long to get a computer to actually beat poker, right? So. I could see somebody that doesn't understand the difference saying, well, if we give it another five or ten years, you will be able to program something and beat roulette. And we all know that that's not because it's statistically impossible. So you'd have to now describe that. Um, I'm not saying you can get there with those yeah, people. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a slam dunk. No, you're right. I mean, people just choose to be ignorant. But uh, also, you'll throw in the Annie Duke line that she said before Congress, in poker, you can choose to fold. In roulette, you can't. Yeah, you know, and then so you can minimize losses in poker, and you can maximize gains in roulette. And you still are victim to. But, but even that, if you had a good prosecutor, I mean, a good person on the other side, you could argue there's a lot of table games where you can fold. You can fold in blackjack. Yeah, and there's skill in blackjack. There is, but you still can't beat it, and that's that's the problem. Is that, and then that's always the the big Achilles heel in convincing people that poker is skill is the fact that we don't control the cards, right? So if we're honest with people, and we usually are, yes, is there luck involved? Of course there is. But when you add up all the things that they get into that final card where you can't control and you lose your stack, all that leading up to it was skill-based. Um, that's the argument they need to make. But um, we'll never be able to get past with some people the fact that there is luck involved. And that's always the toughest argument we've had is explaining how you'll know, it's be a skill game because you understand that luck and you make a series of decisions. In blackjack, you make two decisions. You make you can either your decision is to fold or continue going, right? Mm -hmm. Or not fold. I mean, um, play until you decide to stop. So, right, right. Decide to stop. I mean, you could you could stand on fourteen against a twenty if you want, and that's a choice. It's not a skillful choice, but you can. Um, so you do have choices there. Now roulette, you don't have anything other than where to put it. Um, and you, there is some strategy there because some odds are worse than others, right? And same with craps, but, um, but again, it's it's a very it, now you're getting down the weeds with people. If you have somebody who's never been in a casino, right? Right. And that's usually the people that you're trying to argue this to. 
it is really, really difficult to say, hey, all right, all these games are played in a casino, right? Well, yeah. Well, the casino designs everything to be an advantage for them, right? Well, no. Well, why not? I mean, why wouldn't they design poker to, you know what I mean? This is where you go with that. So yeah. it gets very difficult. For those of us on the inside, and it's, it's, it's frustrating that that process is that frustrating, but that's why. So I think this is the step in the right direction, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think absolutely. you could find a, a jury that could side with you with this argument. And, you know, and you could also bring up the whole competitive head-to-head thing, too, where it's it's me against you, it's not me against the house. So that eliminates the house argument. And then you compare that to golf or tennis and yeah. say it's whether or not he knows to put a drop shot in there, just like we know whether to check raise or not. I mean, it's knowledge and ability, uh, just a different form of it, You're using your head instead of your muscles. You know, it's just uh, – well, don't get me started, all right? We, we're um, – we're, we're through this yeah, segment. Well, you know, it's clearly a light uh, beam step forward, right? Right, right. Uh, but it, it doesn't definitively prove it. No, no, no. And I don't think anything would ever, but, right. but still. Okay, let me try this one more time. <laughs> Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at magazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker Elliot Schechter tell you how we, he would have ruled. Now, what I think was good about you interrupting me last time was that people won't think that it's just an automatic audio clip that I insert every week to me <laughs> saying that because it proves that it wasn't. I, it comes from some it guy named Vic G. It make it just easier to believe. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I could have just like intentionally interrupted it with an editing. Uh, all right. So Vic G uh, is in the house for some reason. I, I don't know. He hardly ever contributes to the show anymore. I don't know what's going on. But he says he's in a 1-3 no limit game in a Mississippi casino. There's a $30 raise and a call, uh, which is a pretty damn big raise. I don't know. <laughs> three big. And then the three of diamonds was exposed. The dealer picked it up and showed it to the table, moving his arm in an arch from seat 10 to seat 1 while announcing three of diamonds in the muck. He did this pretty quickly, and seat 3 says he didn't see it and would like to. The dealer says he showed it, but seat 3 says it was too fast and he wants to see it. The dealer says, why would I lie? Seat 3 still wants to see the card. The dealer, clearly frustrated, begins by lifting up the top card in the muck and holding it so that the players in seats 1 through 5 could see the card. Seats 1 and 2 have since folded, but 3, 4, and 5 have yet to act and are facing a $30 bet. I think players were stupefied, and about 5 cards into the muck, he finally finds the 3 of diamonds. Players are shaking their heads, especially the two guys at the other end of the table with $30 bets in front of them. Seat 3 doesn't say anything, but Seat 5 says that he saw a 10 of clubs. Seat 10 wants to know which cards the 3 of us saw. The dealer says no one saw anything. Seat 10 asks for the four. The four person is also stupefied that the dealer looked through the muck and she ruled the hand a misdeal. Much to dismay and arguments from seat 10. Well, I tell you, some some weeks, Ellie doesn't get paid enough. (laughs) He never gets paid enough, obviously. (laughs) Clearly one of them that feel like I should pay him, but... Uh, the dealer uh, gave all players a reasonable chance to see the exposed card and clearly announced it for the entire table. The game is not played on any one player's schedule, and the request for the card to be shown again should not have been regarded. Precisely because of what happened, next is the reason why. As the dealer is looking through the muck in a careless manner, other cards got exposed and minor chaos broke out. The correct thing for the dealer to have done would have been to call the floor as soon as the player resisted moving on with the game after the exposed card was announced. 
The standard of retrievable and identifiable for cards to be turned or turned over would have been hopefully applied there too. The dealer going through the muck like a cat pawing through the litter box was incorrect and unnecessary. The missed deal was wrong too. I understand the floor went and give up on that hand and start fresh, but too many players have acted, and the action must stand as there's a raise, a call, and twofold prior to the decision. Calling a misdeal here only encourages other players to try and force misdeals after action has occurred and a possible attempt to get new cards or take away good cards from opponents. I loved his simile there. That was awesome. <laughs> Cat pawn through a litter box. <laughs> I tell you, I don't understand why anyone would even entertain this guy. You say it's a three of diamonds, you say it out loud, and everyone knows three of diamonds, and you tell him it's a three of diamonds. He says he wants to see that it's a three of diamonds? Get lost. Yeah, I got so many problems with C3 here. One, and uh, you are active in a hand. Now, I know there are times in a hand when you're active, and it's hard to follow the action, even if you're trying hard, you know, if there's something that happens at the other end of the table. But here, the dealer uh, did exactly what he was supposed to do, announced it, went from... The arm and the arse was seat 10 to 1. Now, whether he did that quickly or not doesn't mean anything. No. He did what he's supposed to do, and if you are an active player participating in this hand, you would have seen it. You would have heard what he said, and you wouldn't. You gave up on that, right, by being in your phone or watching the, the basketball game or whatever the heck you were doing other than paying attention to the action. And because you gave up on that, you have no recourse. So, um, And then I love the dealer says, why would I lie? Really, why would the dealer lie? Is he going to say, oh, yeah, there's three of diamonds, and then engage in a massive conspiracy with the other eight players at the table in this one hand? <laughs> Makes absolutely no sense. Um, and uh, I, I, so here's the thing. The dealer, obviously, very, very wrong, and as as – uh, Elliot said, pawing through the muck like in a litter box. But I can understand his frustration, right? He did everything right. Somebody else made a mistake, exposed the car. He did everything right, and this guy is like like a dog with a bone, and you just want to prove it to him. You want to stick it in his face and say, here's a three of mm, diamonds. <laughs> can we move on with mm, hand now, right? <laughs> and he let his emotion to get the better of him, and that's where he made his only mistake here, I think. Um, as Elliot said, call the floor over, and the floor would be like, hey, dude, move on. Um, now, the fact that he came over and said a missed deal, that's actually the worst thing that happened to you, I think. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, okay, all right, so one person had a problem with the table, so all of you that got money invested, uh, too bad. Sorry. Too bad. No. If we did that, that that's beyond what Elliot said uh, of setting up all kinds of angle shoots. Uh, that's setting up a standard that is ridiculous. That That's setting up a standard that if there's any problem and the floor is called over, the answer is missed deal. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Do over like like we were like four year olds playing kickball in the field, right? Yeah. You can't just do over everything. There's a reason we have rules in place. The reason floors are supposed to make tough decisions, and sometimes they're tougher. And this is not tougher. I mean, God, I wonder what this floor person does in a really difficult decision. I mean, <laughs> they just carry around a misdeal button and just drop it off. Exactly. <laughs> Um, you can't allow that to happen. Uh, you can't allow floors just to say, okay, sorry, folks, let's all play nice. Um, that That's really, really, that's the most aggravating part of this whole email to me. Yeah, very, very. Um, here's the other thing, too, is if he's, are they telling the guy that it was a three of diamonds when he said he didn't see it? Or did he not know it was a three of diamonds and he just wants to see the card? Because if, if people told him it was three of diamonds, and he even when he says, because I can't imagine if you're at a table and you didn't see it, you turn to your buddy and you, or the guy next to you, not your buddy, just the guy next to you or the woman next to you and say, well, what was the exposed card? They're going to say it's three of diamonds. 
You know what I mean? So, okay. I mean, so if he didn't know it was a three of diamonds and he asks and no one is willing to give him that information, then I can see him saying, hey, can you can you tell me what it was or show it to me? And then if you guy's like, no, I already told everybody what the card was. You weren't paying attention. I don't have to do that now. It's your fault for not paying attention. Then you can get into this whole, get the, the floor but person But even over. that didn't happen here. Right. That's it, what I'm trying to figure out. But it, the dealer, the, even if that did happen, the dealer here at least said it's the, he said it's a tray of diamonds after the card was in the muck. <laughs> So okay. I think there, you're right. There might be a little bit of difference if the dealer refused to say, hey, I already told you what the card was. I already showed you. If he didn't hear it, too bad, too sad. Um, I think that's still legitimate because he had the opportunity to see and wasn't paying attention right. for whatever reason. Um, but that's a different story. Here, the dealer wasn't trying to conceal anything. It was the three of diamonds. Sir? Yeah. See, that's why I, I, don't, I don't see where he says that again. That's why I was curious. Oh, You know what I mean? Because he says – the dealer picked it up and showed it to the table, moving his arm in the yard sheet 10 to 1, announcing it's three diamonds in the muck. After that, when it's t- three says... Uh, I guess you're right. He said, why would I lie? Why but, would I yeah. lie? But I, I didn't. I don't see where he actually said it out loud again. Say, hey, right. the three diamonds yeah, is in the muck. But, but even that... Like even then, still, exactly. Yeah. Even then, you'd say, look, I, I would, as a player, I'd turn to somebody and say, hey, what was the card? Somebody would tell you. And then if they don't, and you're kind of frustrated... Then you might say, hey, I didn't get to see it. I'm sorry. Uh, I was counting out my bet when you did it. You did it kind of quick. Can you show me? And then if the guy says no, because he doesn't have to, then, okay, well, then they call the floor and then you finish it there. But you don't go through the muck to try to find it. And then suppose other cards, like he said, that was crazy. But uh, if he had said it was a three of diamonds and the guy wanted to see it, that's when I have him thrown out of the place. I'm telling you right now, it's a three of diamonds. Well, I want to see the card. Now, okay, get the floor over and get this guy ejected. Yeah, and I want to date Kate Winslet too. We don't get what we want so all the time. So yeah, otherwise I'd be rich with three Ferraris. <laughs> hey, you know what? We get to complete Nomali's move. I always love that. So we're gonna hear part one again, and then we'll see you on the other side. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated in a $1-$2 PLO8 home cash game. This is our regular game, and so we know the players well. We've been going for about an hour and currently sit with 225, up 25. The game is eight-handed. The blinds post with us as the big blind, and it's folded to an MP who makes it $6 to go. This player is solid, but plays too timidly with draws and too fast with made hands. The button and small blind both call, and we look down at the queen of spades, jack of spades, jack of diamonds, ten of hearts. We only need to call four dollars into a pot of twenty, and even though this is a one-way hand, I like those odds. We call. The pot is twenty-four dollars, and we are immediately rewarded with the queen of hearts, nine of diamonds, eight of hearts. The small blind checks almost instantly, and we bet twenty-four dollars with the nuts. The MP calls, but the other two players fold. With $72 in the pot, the turn is the tray of spades. We are going to keep up our aggression with a $50 bet. Perhaps this is too light? Our opponent calls. With 172 in the pot, the river is the jack of clubs. This isn't a completely awful card, but it isn't great. Since we no longer have the nuts, we elect to check. Our opponent thinks briefly before shoving. Ugh. What's the move? Well, O'Malley says this player plays too timidly with draws and too fast with made hands. Um, aside from the pre-flop raise, he didn't play fast at all his hand, so I'm less inclined to give him credit for a flop straight, set, or two pair. 
so that means it's a bluff or he hit a straight on the river. Uh, 10-7 we have crushed, but those don't seem like two cards that a preflop razor would hold. King-10 has us crushed, though, and those are two cards a preflop razor would hold. Uh, I think our opponent uh, caught up to us here, and without knowing how much his shove is for, I'm going to fold unless the bet is $100 or less. Yeah, the hardest lesson I ever learned, and I learned it at your house uh, in Omaha, is is also the most important. Don't make second best hands. Uh, given the description of the player and the way it was played, I'm folding. I don't, I don't even think a hundred dollar bet I could call here. I, I just there's just no way. I, okay, I'm, I'm done. So um, here we go. Here's part two. Hello again. This would be a much easier call if this was no limit hold'em. In Pot Limit Omaha 8, it is entirely possible our opponent just sucked out on us. Remember, this player is timid with draws, but overly aggressive with made hands. But since there was no low draw on this board until the turn, I'm betting he played the nut flush draw and backed into a straight. I think there's a slight chance we're ahead or tied, but it's just all too likely this card beats us. We fold. King 10? We ask. Our opponent slightly smiles and slides his cards into the muck. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying PLO8 is not for the faint of heart or the easily tilted. I hope to see you on the felt. Uh, maybe he got uh, there. Maybe got us here. Uh, maybe he didn't. Uh, I'm guessing he had it. But even if he didn't, as a matter of practice, uh, you should practice what Chris preaches. Second nut hands are the most costly in Omaha, and that's a rule. That's an undeniable rule in yeah, Omaha. Yeah. People lose more money with second nut hands than anything else in Omaha. And here's some. First, I'm going to say, yeah, he had it. It was a good fold. I don't care. He gives you that look, and he had it. But here, here's something, and don't fall for this. You may get paid off once in a while, or you may make some money on this, but when you join a game like this and you see people showing down third and fourth best hands and winning with them don't think that that gives you now license to start playing those hands because it's going to bite you on the ass it will not work we a lot of times i'll jump into a 510 game on a ship on our cruise ship and i'll watch these guys getting all this money in and i'm like damn i i mean i had like like one off the wheel here, so you know, for low or whatever. But I'm not playing the hand. And then they show down like the third best nuts, and someone's got the second best low, and their, their stacks are huge. And I'm like, wow, how could they possibly? All that means is that they're not really good at the game. And if yeah. you play the way you're supposed to play, you're going to make money off them because the one time that you're looking at the second nuts both ways, you're going to get up against two players who one has a nut one way and one has a nut the other way, and you're going to lose your entire stack because you think you're getting half back at least, and then you don't. Don't play a second-best hand in Omaha unless you absolutely are in tune with the way these players are playing and you're really good at this game, especially Omaha, PLO8, I mean, that that's a crazy game, too. So you really want to know what you're doing, and you don't want to play second nut hands. You just don't. Don't do it. Now, that doesn't mean pre-flop you can't get involved with hands that aren't ace-deuce-ace-tray or whatever. Sure, because yeah. you can make the nut hands with the cards you have, but the hands that you make, don't make them be – or don't get too invested, at least, in second nut hands. I lost so much money at your house the first time we seriously played that game, and uh, it was like to Snuffy, I think. Every time I turned around, I thought I had like a really good hand, and I would have the second nut flush and say, "All right," and he would have the nut flush or a nut lower. And it's very frustrating, and you lose a lot of money. Then you go on tilt, and then you start playing everything else, and everything starts looking good to you because you want to make your money back. And just don't do it. Don't do it. 
Yeah, this is why I love Omaha Eight. Yeah, <laughs> those kind of players. Yeah, so. those kind of players, and that's why I don't like to play it that much because I, sometimes I fall into that. So I try to stay really strict, and then I never play any hands, and then I get blinded off. So, I mean, I can play the game, but I just choose not to. <laughs> All right, it's time for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at ntfmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Uh, new person in the house this week, Chris, uh, Tim Nolan. He says, I've been a longtime fan of the podcast. Uh, he's like, I, and I want your feedback on this hand since me and my friends, all college-age players, can't agree on my hand analysis. Cool. Uh, he says, a bit of a background. I'm playing 1-2 No Limit at Twin River just after New Year's. Uh, sat down recently with $200 and currently sit with Squiggly 170. He even gets a Squiggly. So. Uh, <laughs> new to the table, but I've gotten almost no good starting hands, so I probably have a uh, tag image. My opening range and middle position is about 20% of hand, so tag is maybe correct to use anyway. I'm sitting in a small blind, and let's see, it gets raised by under the gun, Two to ten and gets three callers before me. Uh, all players except a oh a new term mog M A W G. <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> these college kids these days with their efforts. <laughs> uh, in middle position has me covered. Uh, he says uh, that middle position player uh, has 69 to start the hand. Nice. Um, uh, and we are in the small blind with uh, two red fives. And I had this mentioned as a situation, so but uh, we'll talk about it like now as a hand of the week. But I'm sure it'll be a situation here shortly. So, so I'm assuming Mog means middle aged white guy. I'm hoping that's what that means. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So I I so don't lots. know for sure, but I'm pretty sure it's middle aged white guy. I I don't know. Um. All right. So I, I think fives pocket fives here is is a perfect opportunity to set mine with all those people in that hand and all that money. It's a perfect opportunity to set mine. I'm not raising with it, so. I'm very happy with just to get it in there for the least amount of money possible and hope we get our set, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, let's see. Uh, so, yeah, our hero says it's an easy call and uh, does. A big blind folds. Uh, flop is uh, 50 post rake, and it comes tray of clubs, five of spades, jack of spades. Bingo, we hit our set, and we are first to act. <clears throat> well, hmm. There was a razor, so I guess here's here's the situation. If if you know that this person tends to always follow through with a bet, no matter what, when they are the preflop razor, then I might consider checking and then letting him bet and then decide what happens after that. Like if everyone folds and it gets back to me, then I know I'm heads up with this guy, I might consider a call, even though it is a wet board. Um if it looks like this guy is going to bet and then the people before us all call his bet, then I'll check raise to really make sure that I'm heads up with someone. Um, it really just depends on what you know about these people. You know, this always gets back to you're not playing the cards, you're playing the person. So for me, I'm thinking that, okay, if this person bets out all the time, I'm going to check and let them bet and then see what they all do. If they all call and I'm like, okay, that's enough money in the middle, I want to make sure that I'm going to be heads up with this hand or take it down now, or maybe this guy thinks his aces are good and he's going to shove on me and I'm going to take his whole stack. And So for me, I tend to want to check. Now, if I know this player who made the raise is a type of player 
that will play back at you and overvalue his hands, then I may bet right into him. You know, the old Doyle Brunson sure. super system, hey, that guy's supposed to have a hand, so when you hit your hand hard, you bet into him because he's supposed to have a hand and come back at you. So in this case, if that's the type of player he is, I might bet out. So I can't give you a definitive answer, but I generally, with a lot of people in the hand, I generally, this is, it's a wet board, but, you know, the real thing you're worried about is spades. Right. So um, I feel like someone's going to, someone's going to bet here, and then I'll decide then how much to check raise or if I need to just call because we're heads up. Uh, generally, I want to get this hand over with. I know I want to get value for my set, but at the same time, I don't want to try to extract so much money out of people that I end up losing to a flush. So let me uh, let yeah. me decide what they're going to do after that. But generally, I like to just check and let the guy who's going to be aggressive bet and then take it from there. Um, <clears throat> I like to bet out here, and here's here's why. I mean, one, you're right. Uh, there are a couple spades there. That's what I'm most worried about. Um, I don't like the check raise option because if we check raise and the spade comes, now we have to continue the action, right? So, or in the position where we need to either slow down, like it puts us in a tough spot. Um, I would rather just try to build the pot here. You know, small blind people. I mean, when you look at when a small blind donk beds like this, then you have to start looking at the board. Oh my, what could they have hit? And if it's all junk, then you start really zoning in on the set, right? Because um, you can't normally be scared of sets every hand. Um, but the fact that we got a jack here, we got some a three five, we got some weird combinations here that a, a small blind might have called a raise. Um, so well, our bet here does not scream set to me. Um, so it's very quite action, quite possible that we'll get some action from one or two people. Um, which is not terrible. May get a raise from someone, which at that point now we can raise again if we, because uh, now we got a lot of money in there. Um, but um, I really don't like uh, check raising here. Uh, I'm also worried about giving the free card, which I doubt is going to happen here. But but I, I think our hand is sufficiently uh, uh, the strength of our hand is sufficiently um, uh, covered here that uh, we can get away with a twenty five dollar bet here and start the action and. Well, let me ask you something. Your comment about in a small blind for such a small raise, you could have any two cards. Now betting out could totally say, hey, this guy called 3-5, and now he's hit two pair, and I'm going to fold my piddly nines or something, you know, pocket nines or whatever. Don't you think you could scare somebody with an automatic bet out here? Oh, sh- oh absolutely. That's that's always the, sca- uh, okay. the fear of betting out, right? right. Um, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is that you're looking at this board, I'm like, the fact that the jack's there – it it, it it camouflages the strength of her hand a little bit. Like if it was three five eight or something like that, right? Right. Small blind donk bets out here. Now, I mean, what was the small blind betting with there? It's got to be something. It's not just ace eight. I wouldn't think at that point. It, it's more likely to be a two pair or a set or something. Here, I could, if I'm an opponent, I would think, hey, maybe this. Um, small blind has a jack maybe ace jack or king jack or something like that and he's trying to control the action and i'm sitting there with pocket queens or whatever i don't know um then it, it, it's a different story but um um i think this board gives us enough cover here that we can get away with people not thinking that we have tray five which i think would be unlikely anyhow to we'd call a raise with that um but we certainly would call a raise with uh pocket trays or pocket fives um so um, let me ask you, you something. Let me ask right. you something. So yeah. let's say um, you had already mentioned that if we check, 
it's very, very, very unlikely with three other callers and the razor that no one's going to bet this board. Right. So what if it went, we check, the under the gun plus two makes it 30, and you get at least one caller, and now it's 30 back to you. There's 110 in the pot. Now you've got the perfect opportunity to take down 110 bucks or get this guy to shove over the top of you, and you've got middle set. Wouldn't you now want to bet instead? You know someone's going to bet this flop. You know they're going to bet this flop, and you might even get a caller because it's it's a wet board. So the under the gun guy says, "I want a plus two wants. I want to bet because I want to protect my queens." And the other guy says, oh, "I'm going to call that thirty because I want to hit my nut flush." Now it gets back to you, and you're like, "All right, there's 110 in the middle. I've got middle set. I'm going to get the under the gun plus two guy to now come over the top and shove on me because he's got queens or kings or aces." And the other guy's going to fold because he's going for any if he doesn't, you want somebody putting it in the middle on a draw when you've got the best of it. So don't you then want to just – if you knew they were going to bet, you wouldn't check raise. To me, I would totally check raise there because they fold. You've made 110 bucks, And if they don't well, fold, you're yeah. going to get their stack. I guess the other thing, too, is I lost track of the stack sizes. So the, the player, the, the initial raiser, had 69 as hand to start, right? Right. So, so really, he's only got fifty nine. So so he might shove anyway. Probably if he if he's got to bet at all here, he's got to shove, right? right. So, um, but if he doesn't like this board for a reason, you tend to protect those last sixty chip for some reason, even if it's a wrong decision, right? So, right. Um, you know, I, I guess a, a case they made for betting out here in twenty five is now you're really forcing that guy to get that last fifty nine in. So raise. And that might shut out somebody else, and then we don't have to worry about getting pushed off the hand later on if a spade comes, right? So, um, to me, that, that's that's kind of where I'd be like, I'd like to get the, I like to get all of that guy's money, and if somebody else wants to come along with a, a weaker hand, then that's fine. But the other thing you have to remember is that the guy who initially raised isn't the guy with the sixty-nine. That was the other player. That was the the other player the first oh, player sorry. right, right. so right. now let's say you bet out and the first player just calls the second player is the one that has the 59 left so it's not going to really going to matter i i really think that that's what you do is you check the under the gun plus two guy bets a little bit the under the gun with the 59 the other guy I mean, with the 59 the middle position player now shoves now you're looking at 60 something now you can come over the top and isolate that guy you know what i mean there's just a lot of ways a check really pays off a lot more money than betting out here i think i'm just you know playing devil's advocate with you that's what i think i think that we should we should let the aggressors do what they're going to do and then come alive and then even if they all fold you've made a bunch of money and if the other guy shoves then you're going to you're going to be up heads up against somebody with middle set and hey if they draw out on you that's the variation but if he doesn't you know you i think you've maximized your value on that hand i don't know maybe i'm wrong Maybe I'm wrong. No, I think there's lots of legitimate ways to play this. So yeah, uh, yeah. ultimately, you'll decide on how they hand hands, and then we'll know. All right, Rio says, I, uh, I assume the pre flop aggressor or one of the other three behind me will bet. So I check with the intent of raising to put pressure on the flush draws. The pre flop aggressor uh, chooses the same bet of 10 and gets one call. And then the uh, player that has 59 left goes all in. That gets one fold, and action is back to us. Yeah, see, that's almost what we were talking about, but it was a small bet from the other guy. I thought he'd bet more than 10. That's just kind of ridiculous. So I don't feel like he's got a strong enough hand now. Because if he had a hand that was beating that board, he would have wanted to protect his hand. So a $10 bet is sort of just sort of half-assed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm going to now shove... 
and then just isolate that one guy and, and make that. Although maybe there's maybe there's a reason to just call because it feels like the other guy, if he did have a hand, there's no reason to shove. I guess here maybe maybe he'll call the fifty nine and you get more money out of him later. I don't know. So maybe I don't shove. I think maybe just a, a smooth call here might be the best way because you're not going to get any more money unless. Well, here's you shove. the thing: is that raise now is forty nine on top of the ten. Um, you're making a mistake on a flush draw at this point. So I think actually the way this turned out is great for us in terms of getting information on what people have. So that's why I think I want to call here. Uh, we'll see what the preflop raiser does at that point. But I, I'm less worried now about anybody but that player that's already in having spades if they come along. Yeah. And that's really our what our fear is here, you know. Unless somebody's sitting around with ace deuce or something, but um, so yeah, I, I think at this point I'm going to call. I'll wait and see what the preflop aggressor does. Um, I'm probably not going anywhere anyhow. I got a middle set here. I'm like, you know, you know one hand crushes us right now, and we're only vulnerable to a couple more. So, um, but yes. but this helps me. It helps me not worry about the flush as much as probably should be yeah i like the flat call because there's no other way you're making money because if you shove i think the ten dollar bet guy's going away i think the only yeah. way he sticks around is if you just call and even and, then he's probably not gonna right and the, to your point on that too now we've driven out our profit potential because if if we think most likely this player is already in is on a flush draw yeah. flush gets there we're not gonna get paid off whereas right. if we have another opponent in there we we, we could still make money by losing the hand right right, right. So, yeah, I think this is an easy call for me. But Let's do it. All right. Uh, here it says, I have the second nuts right now, and it's not Omaha, so don't worry about it. <laughs> and although I can't rule out um, uh, the uh, the all-in player calling the $10 preflop with Jax, I'm most likely ahead for now. You may have a top pair strong kicker hand, a flush draw, or maybe the sneaky five tray suited. I expect his range is mostly flush draws here, though. In hindsight, a call here might entice a call or two behind, leaves my options open for the turn. If the board pairs and the flush draw misses, I can try to play for stacks. And if the flush draw hits, I can see their best sizing and probably fold. Of course, this is not what I did. I said I had checked with the intention of raising, and I raised all in for squiggly 160 total. Both players uh, behind me fold, and I'm up against uh, the players 10 of spades, 7 of spades. Turn in river brick, so I do win a nice pot. Oh, cool. Uh, but I feel like raising is uh, also the wrong move because there's already a good chance that the all-in player is already guaranteed to see the river on a flush draw. Um, although, feel free to critique the range I put him, in, put him on. And potentially leaving another flush draw on the pop by just calling his all-in doesn't change the odds of another spade hitting. Uh, thanks for the great show, and I'll be listening hard this next month to see if this hand makes a cut. Oh, congratulations, he did. <laughs> he did. Um, yeah, I think he's right. I think you, you really need to just call there and try to make more money from others. Uh, if you shove, yeah, you got isolated with the guy, which is fine. I mean, you protected that money, but you had no potential to get the most value from the fives. I think in this case, yeah, you still made money and you insured making money. Um, and the way it was told, it made it sound like there were more people to act, but I don't think there were. I think you got... I think the the shove folded everybody to him, and the next guy after him was, I mean, unless there was an under-the-gun person who checked plus one who got it limped and then called the 10, I don't think that's the way it went. So Under-the-gun plus two is the one that initially raised. Yeah, so I don't think the under-the-gun or under-the-gun plus one were in the hand 
Um, so I think that it would have just been that one guy left to get the call. So yeah, I think I just call there instead of shoving. And uh, but ultimately, it worked out for you. I I was hoping you and I would be on the same page so that we would put the whole college guys to rest while they're arguing <laughs> with each other. If we were unified in our answers, they would have been like, "Oh, those two guys know what they're doing." Not. But, well, uh, I, I think at the critical point of the hand, we were in agreement, though, yeah, that yeah, we, we were. talk ourselves out of the all-in, which is the quote-unquote mistake made by our um, our hero here. Um, because, again, the, the player has exactly the hand, that, not exactly the hand I had, but I thought he's on spades, right? I thought maybe stronger spades than 10-7. But, right, right. Um, and that's really the danger you want to get into this. You don't want to be isolated against the one hand that's most susceptible to, to beating you. You want to leave some another opponent in there so you can make money even when you lose the hand so um that was a mistake here um now fortunately the board ran out so we still got the pot but um curious how much more we could have got out of this hand um we don't know what the turn of the river were he says this brick but um i'm curious whether one or two of those other hands might have stayed in if he called and that would have been another 60 120 180 depending on how the action went through after that that we we left on the table yeah All right, rest in peace, Gavin Smith. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.